Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's get that boss connect. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I was watching some film getting ready for Saturday, September 5th, UFC fight night, and keep coming across Ken Flo on that UFC commentary. It makes me feel so goddamn good every time. It's Monday, August 31st, 2020. It's episode 265 of the Anik and Florian podcast. We have not rebranded the show just yet. But I think AFL is coming, and that would be Anna Florian. Wow. So Ray Long goes with us off the top today. All that is is us listening to the goddamn audience that wants you off the top of the show and through most of the show. So to the listeners and viewers out there, here you fucking go. Here's Ray Longo on a platter. Here he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, we have to be good to the people that support us. Hey, right. I mean, and once again, I want to thank everybody for the love on Twitter and oh, Instagram. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, Ken Flo, you know, I mean, there's a lot to like about the Anakin Florian podcast. We think humbly, but Ray Longo <laughs> leads the league. Uh, still no haircut, so uh, that's obviously good news as well, right? I think that has something. I think that has something to do with it. it. It, you know, Ray was always popular, but I think his hair took it to that next level. The long hair, don't care. Keep it going. Saying, I think we're on to something. Yeah. So uh, it is just after 6 p.m. Eastern. I believe Ray is using a microphone that we sent him. Is that right? Are you on oh, the microphone today? Does it sound any better? You sound great. I, I, mean, feel, I great. feel like such a professional today. I can't <laughs> even express my joy and happiness. Yeah. Well, I hope it comes through on the podcast. We thank our producer, Cody Merrow, for getting you all squared away. I'm so uh, focused on the aesthetic that admittedly, even an audiophile like me is not totally focused on your sound because you look so good and he does not tan, no tanning booths for Ray Longo <laughs> since like the late nineties. All right. So a lot to get to today. We're obviously going to recap UFC fight night rockage versus Smith and Longo's got a guy headlining Dana White's contender series show on Tuesday. Of course, when some of you ingest this, that will have already happened, but we'll get into all that. I got a little game for you guys as well. Chance to make some money, which Longo always likes when he can walk away, uh, walk away with that, uh, that money that the Anakin Florian LLC never seems to send, but uh, on, we got a lot. 
going on today. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu whiz Robert Drysdale scheduled to join us at the bottom of the hour as well. That's a radio term, but you get what I mean. Uh, and picks, of course, as well for UFC Fight Night. Uh, Overeem versus Sakai. I'm headed to Vegas in a few days. But let us begin uh, with the new light heavyweight contender, Ken Flo, Alexander Rockich, main event win over Anthony Lionheart Smith. He's excited to show that he can be a five-round fighter, but this was a three-round main event. 30-26 and then 30-27 times two. Your thoughts on Rockich's win over the weekend, buddy? Well, I, I thought it was a smart performance, and I think that a lot of people, including myself, didn't realize that uh, he was a much better wrestler grappler than we had anticipated. And I think that, you know, uh, when we were breaking this fight down, we said, hey, listen, Rakic is probably the better striker. No doubt about that. Way more dangerous on the feet, perhaps, than Anthony Smith. But if it goes to the ground, this is where Anthony can really uh, take advantage. And that just never came to fruition, whether it was uh, any positions that he had on top, which weren't many. Uh, but the times that he had his chances to kind of attack from bottom, Rockets just wasn't having it. it, wasn't giving him the opportunity to set anything up, anything that was remotely close. Rockets was aware of it and basically just shut Anthony down start to finish. I thought it was a solid performance. Um, and I imagine just based on what we saw, even if we did see an extra 10 minutes in that fight, it looked like uh, Rockets really was in cruise control and, and kind of um, just getting better as the fight went on. Exciting times for this light heavyweight division. Ray, what'd you think of Alexander Rockich a couple days yeah. ago? Yeah, I agree with uh with Kenny. I mean, smart fight. I I, I really I know if I was coaching him, I would have told him to stand up and finish it. I yeah. thought he could have finished it. And the way I like in talking to people, the way I described it, if that was a fight on the contender series, I think Dana would have been pissed. Now that doesn't mean it wasn't a smart fight. It was a very smart fight. And if his intention was to say I can also stay on the ground with guys with good jujitsu. Then I think he made the right statement. But I thought that he was doing so good in the stand-up. One time, you know, I didn't even think if I didn't even know if Anthony Smith could stand up. You know, so you always want to. You know, it was almost similar to when uh, O'Malley fought uh, the Thai guy, and he, you know, the guy decided to wrestle with him, but he wouldn't have been able to even walk. So I, I was a little confused on that. Maybe the way he picked his spots. But I think he made his point, and uh, I think, you know, like, again, the, the scores were correct, and uh, he's he matches up really good with both Jan and uh, – Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying? I think that's the interesting part for me. They they All three of those guys match up really good together. Yeah, I like that frame on Rockets. Kemflo, as we do spin it forward, of course, that title won't be vacant here in a few weeks. But uh, Dominic Reyes, Jan Bojovich, you got – Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira, which is such a hell of a main event. It's 13 days from right now. Uh, and those two guys in current form, I know Santos has been out for a while, but mm -hmm. uh, Yuri Prohaska, Ken Flo as well. What do you think about Rockets here at 205? You know, I, I definitely think he can do well. Um, I, I think I was looking for uh, some kind of um, clue that he was improving uh, the grappling part of his game plan uh, post uh, Uzdemir. And, and I think he showed that. And I think that's what he was trying to trying to show out there. But I do agree with Ray that um, a smarter approach and perhaps a more exciting approach would have been for him to stand on the feet, stay on the feet. That's where he had the advantage. That's where he was really lighting up uh, Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith. He had the big time speed advantage uh, over Smith as well and just wasn't utilizing like I thought he should have. Um, and I, I think if he wants to 
be that contender, the guy that who kind of leads the pack here. Um, I think he probably needed to finish o- over Anthony Smith. Right, but right, right. Uh, again, it, the experience was huge. Anytime you're able to get a solid 15 minutes in there, I think is big. Um, and for Anthony Smith, I'm sure we'll get into it a l- little bit later. I guess I'll end with this is that I was disappointed in his approach. I didn't think yeah. he fought a very smart fight. I don't think he looked very sharp at all. He seemed off. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we've seen Anthony Smith really the same in the last few fights. I, I don't know if it has anything to do with the John Jones fight or some other things or injuries that are kind of piling up, but I'm seeing an Anthony Smith that isn't improving. That isn't making um, the right adjustments come game time. Right. What do you yeah. think about that? Uh, yeah, no, look, it definitely was a, was not a good performance and he's a great guy. It's just, I, I, I expected him I expected a little more out of him also, uh, and we didn't get it. As far as, you know, going back to uh, Rakic, is that the way you yes. pronounce his name? Fucking you know, he, yeah, <laughs> Even the way he jumped up, Kenny, at the end of the fight, was almost like he won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So he put a lot of weight on the name of Anthony Smith fighting for a title, which is good. I think it's good, but I think it shows which direction he was heading in. But he really, the way he jumped up and ran away from him, at the end, I thought it was just a little odd. I thought he did great. You could see the size difference. He's a big bone guy. Uh, I, I thought he had a huge size advantage, just bone structure-wise, not even height-wise. Uh, but, yeah, he took this as, you know, Anthony Smith has a huge name. And he yeah, that's the way I think he fought that fight. So I think he fought to get the win, which is good. But I think, like Kenny says, to really – you got to make a statement. You know what I mean? And – uh I don't know if he did that, you know, Ray, Ray brings up a great point, John. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if you studied your ass off for a test uh, and you get that test back, do you cheer that you got a C plus, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I did it. I passed. Yeah. yeah. That's what we look. That's what we were looking at. Kenny. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, all right, you beat Anthony Smith. It was yeah. not impressive. You kind of hung in there. Yeah, you stepped right. out of his guard, something you probably should have done before to stand <laughs> yeah, up with him, right. and you're cheering about it. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I yeah. think just a little premature. There was something yeah. right. odd right. about the whole thing. And uh, But again, not taking anything away from the guy's performance. He f- performed really well, but I thought there was a couple of oddities in there that I just couldn't wrap my brain around, and that was yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, hey, if I had a cell phone in the late 1990s, you would have seen me celebrating a lot of C pluses. I tell you, you know, there's no no D in there. So you right. Take that C plus. So, all right. So you guys gave me a lot to unpack there. Uh, I want to inject this tweet at Kenny Florian on Twitter into the conversation, if Ooh. I may. I love watching fights, and I really want to care about the 205 pound division in the UFC. But somehow, the fights that are supposed to matter in that weight class never get me that excited. And I just said. It's an exciting time if you are a contender. But, Campbell, I understand why this main event left you underwhelmed. And if you are Tiago Mahetta Santos or Glover Teixeira, who look like a fucking animal against Anthony Smith, those yep. two guys, this is a perfect result for you, right? Because Rockich didn't right. get that finish that immediately vaults him up the ladder. Um, but in terms of Anthony Smith, And there's some criticism, obviously, that's going to be levied at him. You know, the doctor that I went to see, David Abbasi, for my knee today, he wrote on social media that he was sort of underwhelmed by the strength and conditioning from Anthony Smith. Seems like 185 pounds is too tough, but he just, I don't know. He felt like he succumbed under the strength and size of Rockich, and I don't know. He didn't look yoked 
to me. And, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into the aesthetic and flow. You never know what a guy's going through, but I just, I don't know. I didn't love the look in his eyes pre-fight. I don't know. Yeah, he, he did seem a little bit out of it. Didn't come into the same shape that we've seen him before. Seemed a little bit softer than normal. And again, who knows? Maybe he's coming to this fight uh, with an injury or whatever. It's tough, man. You know, the, the 205 pound division, I think, has lost a lot of luster. You know, when we lost Cormier and then, of course, now John Jones, it's just a different division. You know, when you go back, Ray, and Ray was around for this time when Maddie was fighting and all that stuff. I mean, you had Liddell, you had Randy Couture, you had Rampage Jackson. Um, you had all these other guys that I think big names that kind of made the division exciting. Um, and we don't really have that at 205 pounds. I feel like everybody kind of looks the same. Everybody yeah. kind of fights the same. It's just, I just don't have that same interest uh, for maybe the golden days of that division, which was the, 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 the days of Randy Couture and, and Chuck uh -huh. Liddell and all that stuff. But, you know, of course uh, I'm comparing it to, you know, truly the golden age, but it's just not the same for me. I, I, I get excited about, every other division except really yeah, 205 yeah, right now. Yeah. yeah. And well said, and I'll, ma I'll make a prediction, which I think is going to coincide with what you just said, that this title is going to change hands a lot in the next year or two. You know what I mean? Like that's what Kenny's saying. Everybody kind of looks the same. And I'm going to say anybody on any given night could beat. And, you know, like, again, it's going to be one of those things where whoever wins in the next couple of weeks, I don't know how long he's holding this for, you know, it's, I think we're going to see that change hands a lot until we get a real dominant player in that division. All right. Also on the main card, Neil Magny over Robbie Lawler by unanimous decision, 30 to 27 times. Through. Magny's the favorite. Oh, I thought we were playing the game already. I'm sorry. I screwed up. Oh, we'll no, play the game. Anytime no, a little, <laughs> want to play the game. Little, little habit. I, I bet Magny wins by yeah, decision. Little, little habit. Yeah. I picked up watching the quiz shows, John. Sorry about that. Yeah. Just blurted out. I didn't even have any control over it. Well, I got a hundred dollar bill. It's a brand new one from the bank and it's going to either you or Ken Flo. So you're laughing about the game now. Uh, we'll see if you can, uh, you can beat Ken Flo here in a minute. I lost my train of thought a little bit, but we're talking about Neil Magny. All right, Ken Flo. I don't know what else to say. Okay. Other than that, when he fights, just go to the window blindly and bet on him. Even if it's price prohibitive at price prohibitive as it was this weekend. So Neil Magny started Kenny one and two in the UFC. He's 16 and four since, and probably is going to pass George St. Pierre at some point in the not too distant future as the welterweight in UFC history with the most wins. I mean, you can unpack the win for us, but I'm just so blown away by the legacy and the body of work at this point. It's unbelievable. He's a stud. Um, I think part of the magic of Neil Magny is that he is underestimated repeatedly as I did for him in his fight against Robbie wow. Lawler. Um, I, I don't think we saw the best Robbie Lawler out there, but even if we did Neil Magny, just with a brilliant strategy out there, he pumped that jab. And then anytime he said, all right, Robbie, you want to get into to your distance that you want to be at? He got that, uh, tie plum clinch and beat him up with knees and elbows and then grinded him down up against the fence, got the takedowns that he needed. This was a Neil Magny that was confident that was comfortable, that had a game plan, stuck to it, 
and just was dominant over the former champion Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler, one of the most likable guys as far as a fighter. If you're a fighter or if you're a fan, you love Robbie Lawler. You love watching him fight. And when you get a guy, Neil Magny, who's able to shut him down and cool those engines for 15 minutes, I was just blown away by the performance. Neil Magny is a stud man uh, and extremely consistent now and uh, looking great. Yeah, and I was I was happy just to see him bring back the tie clinch. We don't see a lot of that, and he did what a great job he did uh, against a veteran who's dangerous at any point in the fight. But I thought uh, just what you said, John, the way he started out and the way he's overcome and evolved and gotten better and better, fought the top of the top. It just really good to see, and he's 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 a problem now. His fight IQ looks like it's on point. Yeah, and like Kenny said, when he when Robbie wanted to stand up with him, he was willing. I think his corner said trade with him. You know, they right. had that much confidence in him. And uh, unfortunately for Robbie, who like again is a sweetheart, he's a great guy, but he was having trouble pulling the trigger for whatever reason. And it could just be uh, you know that time where you know he's had a lot of fights, he's been fighting forever. And uh, who the who the heck knows? But we go we have this conversation all the time with certain guys. They just can't get back on track, and it kind of stinks. But not taking one thing away from Magny, I thought he yeah. fought a great fight. And again, he put in everything: grappling, boxing, kicking, tie. You know, so I thought it was a great performance on him. And just the fact, Kenny, that he went back to the tie clinch. He believes in what he's doing. Like you know, like again, I we ha- I haven't seen that in a while. You know, where a guy grabs a neck and starts kneeing, you know, almost like, you know, Anderson Silver against Franklin or, yeah. you know, yeah. some of the other guys. Yeah. So I thought it was a great, great, uh, yeah. great performance. And he showed a variety of things and he's not ever going to be an easy out for anybody. And uh, right where he wants to be. It's very hard for me to do the show at this hour of the day without swearing every other word. But my wife, my mom, everybody's getting on me for how much I'm swearing in front of the kids, what have you. Um, but overachiever is sort of a negative word and the connotation is negative. So I hate to sort of paint Neil Magny with that brush, but it was like, he finally became a ranked fighter, Kenny. And everyone's like, Oh man, you know, finally broke through. And it's like, now I look at a guy who, if people out there aren't careful, he's going to find himself in a UFC title fight and he's going to go out and win it. And I say that with all due respect to Kamar Usman, of course, who has been largely unbeatable and Leon Edwards and everybody else. But it's like, you don't want to draw Magny, right? Because you know he's like Floyd Mayweather. He's almost never flat on fight night. Yank it out, cardio the guy, you know. And I do think IQ is something. It's all starting to come together for Neil Magny. Kempo, real quick on Lawler. I mean, do you think he's a byproduct of matchmaking here? Would you like to see him uh, against like a true kickboxer? What What are you looking for uh, for Lawler in his fighting future? You know, I think he's definitely at the end of his career. Um, It is something that comes to us all, obviously. And, um, you know, I think for Robbie, I I think maybe a a fight, a a classic throwback, maybe against a guy like a Carlos Condit. Uh, I I believe Condit got a fight coming up or D I think he got something announced, but anyways, uh, something along those lines might be interesting uh, against a, you know, a former legend in that division and kind of, that might be a, a nice goodbye fight. I, I, I'm not trying to retire Robbie Lawler. Maybe he's yeah. got more than a few years left in him still, but uh, he has been doing it for a long time. Um, and I think that's one of those fights where you, you want to start asking yourself, you know, is this my best work? Am I continuing uh, to put out good work? Am I still training the way I used to with that same kind of vigor and, and passion? Um, and do I still want to fight? Um, and, and if he still wants to do that, that's cool. But I, I do think we're seeing a decline in, in Robbie's skills at this point. Yeah. 
Hey, Ray, you got anything else on UFC Fight Night, Rockage versus Smith, or can I move on here? No, I, I just think with Robbie, I still think he has the skills. I just think I always go back to I believe it's a mental thing and the desire, you know, that burning desire to win. Just if that's not at 100 yeah. percent, I think we see this hesitation. And because I always look at it like this, Robbie Lawler against Neil Magny five years ago. What happens in that fight? And I think yeah. it's a totally different fight. And that's when you have to start thinking about, you know, I don't, what am I doing? You know what I mean? But Kenny, I, Kenny, another great point. It looks like they love doing this with these legend fights or, you know, some of these guys fighting each other in the same predicament. And I, yeah. I, I guess that makes sense, you know, but, uh, you know, is he going to make a run at this point? It doesn't look that way. Yeah. And uh, again, he always stayed in shape. You know, he was always physically fit, but I think mentally something just happens and, you know, you have different priorities in life. You're not as hungry. And again, I like to say the burning desire to win. If that's not there, yeah, man, that's that's a tough one, man. I agree. Well, that hunger's certainly there for uh, for Neil Magny, three and zero in two thousand twenty. I think he's destined to make a run. Hey, the Longo speed bag video on Instagram was really good. Maybe we got a tie clinch video that you oh, can produce. Right? I love the tie clinch. I, I mean, I'd like to see you fucking go to work with that. Oh, I love the tie clinch. Okay, all right, yeah, let's I'm make gonna that put happen. something together for you. All right. Boom. 60 seconds from now, we're going to play a little game with Longo and Ken Flo. First, uh -huh. I want to let you know this episode of the Anakin Florian podcast is brought to you in part by Mint Mobile. Their new approach to wireless is truly a thing of the future. I'd encourage anyone out there using one of the big wireless providers to ask yourself, what are you paying for exactly? Expensive retail stores, inflated prices, hidden fees. They know you'll pay, so they keep getting you. Well, enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on overhead, then passes those savings directly on to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. Use your own phone, of course, with any Mint Mobile plan. Keep your same number, existing contacts, all of that stuff still applies and we want to get you in the game so to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free go to mintmobile.com slash Florian. that's mintmobile.com slash Florian. cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Florian. all right so uh tuesday night contender series they removed the tuesday night so dana white contender series so the headlining fight is your guy, Dennis, last name we'll hear in a minute, taking on Melsic Bogdasarian. Good news is we're not going to make you pronounce Melsic Bogdasarian, Ray, <laughs> but figure for Dennis at this point, you might as well learn how to pronounce Dennis. Don't call him Bazooka's last name. So uh, it's close to Bazooka, but Dennis has a huge fight. I know he's a young kid, I think 22, 23 years old, but he's four and one, five and one as a pro. Headlining fight here on the Contender Series, ESPN Plus, Tuesday night. Tell the masses how to pronounce his last name. Oh, man, I thought I, I go with Bazooka. All right. <laughs> yeah, which is horrible. Well, I mean, I thought it was Bazooka. I entrusted in you, so I trotted that out on national television a couple weeks ago. And what'd you end up with? Uh, wrong answer on national TV. <laughs> Let's hear, uh, Cody, if we could, how Dennis pronounces uh, his name, if you don't mind. Dennis the Great Bazookia. Dennis the Great Bazookia. Bazookia. I thought you wanted to know how to pronounce Dennis. I didn't know you were, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you were talking about the last name. Bazookia yeah. is how you yeah. pronounce it. 
I kind of thought it was Dennis. He had a tr- he had yeah, trouble. Yeah, with yeah. 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 See, Annex got to you know improve yeah, his on, questions. John. You know, it's just sorry. Dennis sorry. the Great <laughs> Bazookia. Yeah, Bazookia. Bazookia. Oh yeah, Bazookia. Bazookia. He pronounces the first syllable two different ways, but that's neither here nor there. Bazookia. <laughs> so. Big fight for uh, for Dennis Bazuki. A lot of eyeballs going to be on this kid, and uh, I know you believe in him. What do you have for the audience, Ray? No, great camp. I think he's really prepared, and uh, I bet on Bazuka if you're a betting man. Okay, I, I don't have a betting done. line. I tried to get one, Cody. If you want to see if one is up, I did not see one as of this taping, but perhaps uh, I did not look as thoroughly as I should have, but at least now, next time you see him, you can call him bazooka. So yeah. has Chris Weidman moved to South Carolina? Is he uh one he, foot out the door or already yeah. gone? No, he's gone. I he's saw gone. him off Saturday. I was at the house with him. Yeah. I don't know what the hell he's doing down there, but he's gone. <laughs> Cody, what do you have for us kid? Well, I want Ray to guess. What do you think the odds are on this fight? Ah, yeah. Yeah. Ray. Uh, I'm going to say they have the other guy favored, which is a big mistake. <laughs> So you'd be incorrect, but close. Dennis oh, is a wow. minus 120 favorite with the okay. other side coming back at minus 110. That's okay. So oh, all right, cool. Yeah, no, they got they got that right. All right, so Weidman to South Carolina, see a doctor and get rid of him. So what What was the goodbye <laughs> like? I mean, in, in this COVID-19 cloud, a little embrace, a little emotion. Oh, no. There was uh, absolutely no masks at the house. Uh, <laughs> the new guy, the guy that came over. You know, that bought the house was over. We took a lot of pictures. We had a good. We had, actually had a good time. I'm glad I got over to see him. And uh, uh, I don't know. He's he's going to be back sooner than we think. I believe. Yeah, over under a year. Chris oh, Martin I know. Uh, yeah, we had it under a year and a half. We had the over under at a year and a half. He's coming back. I don't think he makes it there. Yeah. Speaking of masks, by the way, I am happy to let you know it's probably the best mask I've ever seen. It's a Ray Longo Minute Mask with an Anakin Florian Podcast monogram. It's available right now at AnakFlorianPodcast.com. And there's also some other Ray Longo Minute merchandise up there as well. So uh, needed to push some sales. The holidays are coming. So I want to listen. All my Minutemen out there, gather up, man. We're taking over the podcast. We are taking over the podcast. Cody's going to send me and Kenny an email that's like boys uh good news bad news you know <laughs> bad news we haven't sold any uh don't text and drive anic t-shirts good news they're <laughs> sold out of ray longo minute mask so. oh man love all it. right all right so we're gonna play a little game here uh 100 bucks anakin florian llc is gonna cut the check to whoever uh, goes the longest without a wrong answer, you guys can split the winnings. But I have eight fights that are likely on the books or rumored to be on the books that are going to happen. All you got to do is tell me the favorite. Keeping it really simple. Henry Hoof style. Just keeping it fucking simple, okay? Sorry for the swears. All right. First fight. Ray's leading on all of these. Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. We're going to start with an easy one, Ray. Who's favorite, Khabib or Justin? But Khabib. Ken Flo, Khabib or Justin, you know his favorite in that fight, Ken Flo? I, I, w- I would say Habib, right? All right, you're both Gotta be. alive. All right, next fight coming up on September 19th, 20 days from now. Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley. Ray Longo, who's favorite? Colby Covington. Ken Flo? I'd say Colby as well. Colby is a huge favorite. Minus 335. Tyron Woodley is plus 275. Part of the reason we're doing this exercise is get some of these big fight odds out there. All right. Third fight. Davison Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt for the UFC Men's Flyweight Championship. Who's favorite? Ray. Figueredo. Ken Flo? Huh. Interesting. Uh, 
I'll go with Cody on this one. All right, so Ray wins a hundred dollars. Davis Figueredo minus two thirty. Cody Garbrandt plus one ninety. We're gonna still move on though with the rest nice of the Brent. game. Next up, Darren Till or Jack Hermanson. Ray, who's favored? Jack Hermanson. And Flo? I'd say Hermanson as well. Darren Till, slight favorite. Minus ooh, one. Ooh, Jack Manson, damn, Jack I could have could have stole that one. All right. Next up. I should have done total instead of like a survivor elimination, but right. the, the check's been cut. All right, next up, Francis Ngannou. Okay, some of these fights are just dream scenarios, right? Haven't been announced at all. Francis yeah. Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic, Ray. Who's favorite? Uh, Stipe Miocic. Can't flow Francis or Stipe? I think they'd probably have Francis as a, as a favorite. Yeah, against any human being in the world right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Francis minus 190, uh, Stipe plus 165. Israel Adesanya versus Paolo Costa, Ray. Uh, Adesanya. Can flow? Should be Adesanya. Yeah, champs minus 160. Uh, all right, Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Nico Price. Who's favored right now, Cerrone uh, or Price? I'd have to go with Cerrone. Can flow? I, I get. Let's go with Cerrone. I assume they'll go with Cerrone. I like the pause. That was a tough one for me. At least the book that I saw pricing this right now has Nico Price minus one sixty-five. Donald Cowboy Cerrone yeah, minus, minus one thirty-five. Wow. All right, you've both been eliminated, so we don't have to get to Claudia Gadelia versus Yan <laughs> Shaonan. But I can tell you, Yan Shaonan is a slight favorite. And the last one, Ray, yeah. just for uh, for shits and giggles, Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. Uh, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to say that if they picked him over, uh, me a chick, they'll pick him over Jones. I go with Ngano. Yeah. They probably go Ngano. Yeah. Francis Ngano betting favorite over any man in America right now. Hey, I'm not saying he beats any man in America, but yes, you got to entrench him as the favorite against anybody right now, you know? And if, uh, if you disagree, UFC fight pass, uh, .com. All right. I think that's all I have for you today, wow. Ray. I mean, this is great having you off the top this, of the this show. Is, I mean, I this is huge. Yeah, this is huge. Big. This is big. Did you go on the UFC's own podcast, though, this week as well? Did you do that? Yeah, I did that okay. today. All right. All right. I, got to I got tortured by my friend today. He's out. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Let's go. All right. well, that's it. I can't. That's it. He's uh, done. I can't mention it by name, but uh, we're glad you, you carved out 32 minutes for us tonight. Are you at home or are you at the gym right now? I'm at home, but I'm heading back to the gym right after this. All right, man. Well, hope uh, sounds like we lightened up your day a little bit. Uh, I guess. You, guys, you guys made my day. I was having a rough day today. Sorry to hear that. You care to share any details? You want to keep that close to the vest? Yeah, we're just you know trying to figure out what we're doing with the gym. You know, it's, yeah. it's a very complicated yeah. times right now. So. I'm sure it is. Well, I know Ken Flo can empathize and uh, yeah, how are you fine? Yeah, how are you doing, Kenny? With that, I mean, uh, hanging in there, man. You know, we're just trying to stay stay alive over here in California. They they they're sh they've shut us down, so we're waiting for uh, for the go ahead and. Um, just trying to keep our, our head above water, man. But uh, I, I feel for you over there. I know you guys have had it even worse than us. And um, I don't know, man. Put someone in the tie clinch. Throw a couple of knees and elbows. That'll, that'll make you feel better. Well, we can't. We're too close. Oh, that's right. You have to, you right. have to socially distance tie clinch. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? You see guys clinching like this, Kenny, with their arms out with Frankenstein. That's horrible. And I don't know. But anyway, you guys are the best. You always make my day. And let me tell you, me and Cody were hacking away at this at 
Sunday night at 11 o'clock at night. So, Cody, you got to give it up to the guy. There's no, we don't set limits. It's not a nine to five job. We do whatever it takes. Hard work, dedication, hard work, dedication. See, I believe in a country where hard work pays off and now they're taking, they don't even let you work hard. Exactly. I'm running for president. Come on, let's go. Let's get this thing started. Let's go. Well, hey. Let's talk offline about the gym. I know we joke about putting yeah. Anakin Florian on the front of the building, but let's talk. <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, I'm ready have, to go. Have a, have a good night, and uh, we'll see that Ty Clinch video, Ray Longo MMA, uh, on Instagram, I guess, later this week. Beautiful. You got it. All right, my man. Take there it easy, guys. Ray Longo with Thanks, us every Ray. week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. A couple other performances I just wanted to mention. Uh, I don't know if you have anything on what was the fight of the night between Ricardo Lamos and Bill Algio. A lot of people out there support Algio and, and seems like a really good guy. And I'm excited to see his second effort uh, after stepping up against Ricardo Lamas and in for your guy against Ryan Hall. Mallory Martin with an outstanding comeback to submit Hannah Cypher. She won a bonus and uh, the Philadelphia kid, Sean Brady, also a bonus winner by guillotine. Uh, but Lamas and Algio, I'd imagine you and Ryan Hall were watching that fairly intently. Any thoughts on on Lamas still getting it done? Absolutely. Listen, Algio was was no joke. He went out there and had an awesome performance, went right at him. There was no intimidation factor or, or UFC jitters uh, on his part at all. Um, I thought he went out there, moved really well, uh, really took the fight to Lamas. Lamas really had to make some adjustments out there, uh, and he did just that. I thought he responded extremely well, as you'd expect from a very tough veteran, a guy who fought for the belt before. Um, I thought it really came down to that third round and Lamas just kind of turned on, turned on the turbos there and uh, really pulled away from Algeo and uh, did a great job of getting that fight to the ground, uh, landing, landed some really good ground pound, uh, got to that clinch. And I think, I think that really was the difference in there. In the third round, it seemed like Algeo really started to lose steam and Lamas just seemed to get stronger. All right. So last thing in terms of the big fight odds, I mentioned Paulo Costa versus Israel Adesanya. And this isn't promotional hyperbole when I say how geeked I am to, to watch that fight. Right. But someone asked me, you know, how would you compare your level of enthusiasm for Adesanya Costa versus Adesanya Whitaker? And it's like, all right, maybe I'm a little bit guilty, right? Because I'll tell everybody, Adesanya Whitaker, you don't understand. This is the Super Bowl mixed martial arts. This is the biggest middleweight fight ever. Right. So sometimes I am guilty of that. But Given what we said about the 205-pound division, would you at least say that you share my enthusiasm overwhelmingly for this middleweight championship fight between two undefeated guys in Adesanya and Costa, truly the two best guys in the world? I mean, this fight, anytime I'm asked what's the fight the rest of the way, 2020, I'm most looking forward to, I got to lead the conversation with this one. Uh, without question. I, I think that um... – when you look at both guys and the way that they approach a fight, I think in Costa, you have the perfect dance partner for Adesanya. Adesanya needs someone who is going to get in his face and look to try to knock him out. I think that brings out the best in Adesanya. We've seen that in his previous fights. Um, so I think their contrasting styles make for such an interesting spectacle. I think both these guys are at the top of their games. So for that, I think, um, that makes it intriguing in and of itself, but just the way that they fight, um, I just don't see this fight going the distance. If it does, it would be an absolute classic, but Costa doesn't have any other way to fight. He only fights going forward, right. looking to knock your head off. Exactly. And Adesanya is a counter puncher through and through. 
And I think that's what makes it so fascinating from a martial arts perspective and from a fight fan perspective. Um, I, I think that one is is destined to be a short one. I mean, if, if I were to make a bet under three rounds, but uh, I, I'm fascinated by it. And both those guys are just awesome. So would you say then Yoel Romero as an opponent for Adesanya is sort of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of it being like a super challenging guy to prepare for, right? Like Whitaker, after he fought Darren Till, he said that was a very mentally taxing fight, right? So Mm -hmm. do you feel like this will have him salivating much more so than maybe past matchups? I think so. I I truly believe that. I I think Yoel Romero is a guy who really fought a style against Adesanya where he wanted to be a counter striker as well. Both guys were enticing the other one to move forward. Uh, And for me, that's the highest level of skill is the counter puncher. It takes way more skill to counter punch than it is to just move forward. So for that, I I think it's really intriguing. But Costa is a guy who's very fast very powerful. He's going to take it to Adesanya. And if Adesanya isn't careful and he doesn't time things properly, it's Adesanya that could get knocked out. I don't think that's going to be the case. And we'll talk yeah. about that later. I, I think Adesanya is a true superstar and, and a elite, truly elite martial artist, but man, um, you can't sleep against Costa for one second, boy. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's a super bowl. It's September 26th. You don't have to wait till the first week of February, the super bowl, is September 26th. I think it's like UFC 253. All right. Now joining us, I always want to say on the guest line, but a lot of video these days. So it sounds a little weird. He's one of the most accomplished American born Brazilian jujitsu practitioners of all time. You know, the name MMA coach, former fighter. Got to think he's in some sort of hall of fame by now. Maybe not kind of a young guy. The great Robert Drysdale is with us. Good to have you with us, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, Privilege and honor. Thank you so much for having me. Ken Flo, I think there's like a jujitsu walk of fame or something, if I'm not mistaken, that just got off the ground. Is there not? I mean, are you in any hall of fames, Robert? <laughs> he should be. Uh, I'm not. I'm not like, uh, I th- there's one, a BJJ hall of fame, but only for those who won the IBJJF, uh, open weight class. And, uh, I, I've never won that one. I've, I've came close at least, you know, I, I won the, the division. I came close to winning the open ones, but I never won it. So I always ask, grapplers Grapplers. who have competed at a high level what was their either signature win or the best win of their career what would you say was the win that was most satisfying walking off the mat for you you know it's funny because everyone immediately thinks that my ADCC win right over over Garcia Marcelo Garcia because he's such a loved character you know it's it's so easy to love Garcia because he's like he's little he does he's unassuming you know and he's so technical and it's so beautiful to watch him grapple uh, you know, so like I, I came in kind of throwing a dark horse and, and I beat some big names that day. So everyone always thinks of the ADCC in 2007, but I think emotionally I have some other tournaments that are at least, um, significant in terms of accomplishment, you know, but like for me, or as just at least as much to me emotionally, um, like small tournaments. Sometimes I remember like when I first started, people don't believe me, but like, I actually, I was a horrible competitor. My first tournament, I lost first fight. My second tournament, I lost first fight. My third tournament, I lost first fight. My fourth tournament, I lost uh, first fight. My fifth tournament, Uh I took second. I won two matches, and I lost in the final. And to me, that was like, I I can do this. (laughs) There's a chance. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. So I remember like that victory to me meant so much. There's some other ones along the way, but I think that the big one is the uh, uh, IBJJF Black Belt World Title and the ADCC uh, Open Weight Class. 
So, uh, well, Ken Flo and I looked fondly back at your lone UFC fight that we happened to be on the call for today. We were watching some film, but at least if my re research is accurate, you made official your retirement from MMA late in 2019, and you're no longer competing in, in the grappling circuit as well. Is that accurate or not? Well, actually, I, I mean, I really retired from grappling after ADCC 2009. I haven't grappled ever since. I was still fighting MMA. Uh, my last MMA fight was 2016. I made a post a while ago where I officially retired, but I had retired right. already. It was just more of an announcement saying I'm full-time dedicated to my students at this point. Um, you know, it was just like my heart wasn't there anymore, to be honest. Like, I never wanted to fight for the wrong reasons. I always told myself I always was going to fight for the right reasons, where my heart was there and it meant something to me. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. That was always my right. motivation. And once that was in there, I felt like I would be fighting for the wrong reasons and I didn't want to be that guy. So you fought once in the UFC. What do you remember most about that fight week and that overall experience? Um, you know, people always ask me, like, were you uh, extra nervous? Was that like something different from other experiences in jiu-jitsu or MMA? I'm like, I never really cared for the crowd. Whether I had five people watching or five million, it never made a difference to me. It was always about how I felt about myself walking in there, right? How confident I was. And um, I think my biggest issue in MMA was always like, it's funny because in sparring, I was never scared of getting hit. I was never scared of getting hit. That was never an issue. I've always been terrified of getting knocked, uh, knocked out, right? There's a big difference. Right, right. Because I feel like in grappling, if we're grappling, for you to beat me, you have to outposition me, right? You have to take me down, maybe sweep me, pass my guard, mount, control mount, get my back, get a submission. Where striking, there's more of that that element of Russian roulette. You could be a much better striker, you know, split second, you blink, wrong move, put your hand right, down for a second, right. overhand right now. That's that's what always terrified me. So I remember being hesitant to, because I knew if I grappled with my, I was always confident if I could connect my hands around someone, I could win against anyone. Like in my head, if I connect my hands around you, whether it's leg or waist, I'm going to get to your back. Right. That was always my mind uh, thought process. But on the way in, I was always getting scared of getting clipped with something. You know, I always had like the images of jujitsu guys running in and getting hit with the knee on the right, way in. Right. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> but uh, it was a good experience, man. Like, of course, you know, things didn't go according to, to plan. But, uh, um, you yeah, know, no regrets, man. It's a good life, man. I did what I wanted to do. So I was terrified of stepping in a cage. It was my biggest fear in life. I overcame that. So to me, that means more than anything. Well, Rob, you, you've been very busy since retiring. Um, you obviously, you know, very active as a coach, both for jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. Um, you know, what do you prefer right right now? Obviously, you you come from that jiu-jitsu background, but uh, is there one that's more challenging than the other? I feel like, they, you know, people won't agree with me when I say this, but I feel like the evolution in AJ happens a lot faster than it happens in MMA. And I think part of that is the number of practitioners. There are a lot more BJJ practitioners uh, and competitions than MMA. we got to remember, MMA has a lot of fans, does not have a lot of practitioners, right? So the technical evolution happens a lot faster. And there's something in the culture of BJJ where I feel that uh, innovation is more welcome, whereas the MMA crowd tends to be a little more stubborn. Like, it's very difficult to get them to do anything different, right? They have to see it in the UFC before they even try to you know, something new. Whereas I feel like the BJJ crowd is more willing to try something completely new. They're more open-minded in that regard. So I think that reinforces the, the, the technical development. Because I can barely keep up with jiu-jitsu, I'll be honest with you guys. I do this for a living. And I'm watching my Musumensi Berimbolo, and I, I got to put it in slow motion. I can barely keep up with him. 
Whereas MMA, that never happens. Like it's, I think the evolution is happening a lot slower. I think that's pretty accurate, man. And you've also been busy putting together uh, this tremendous Brazilian jiu-jitsu documentary that basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, you basically kind of um, validate, I guess you could say the history of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and how it evolved from Japan into Brazil and how it came to the United States. Is that, is that correct? And, and, and why did you decide to, to take up this huge project? I, it's funny, man. Like I've always been a history nerd. It's all my second passion outside of jiu-jitsu. I'm a history major. I have an unfinished master's uh, in history. Uh, I love, I've always loved everything from ancient history to colonial period, cold war, contemporary uh, politics. I, I've always been very much, you know, immersed in, 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 in the humanities in general. Like I've always loved it. I never thought about studying the history of jiu-jitsu, but I bumped into a book called Shockey by Roberto Pedreira. It's available on Amazon. It's the most dense piece of, um, you know, I'd say the, the, the study of the history, history of martial arts in Brazil today. And it was shocking. Like the story that we had been told was very incomplete. I won't say, you know, a lot of people think I'm trying to discredit the graces. That's the last thing I'm trying to do. In, in some ways, I think I came to admire them more. But the story, that linear, simplistic narrative of Maeda teaching Carlos, who taught Helio, maybe Helio learned from learning, the, the, the story varies. It's too simplistic. It's too poor in reality. I think that there's a lot more elements to this story. And that narrative is not necessarily incorrect. It's just that, you know, if you think of history, you shouldn't think of history as, as linear. You should think of history as a bush, right? And some people will select one little part of the bush and make that the whole story. And it's like, no, wait a second, there's an entire bush here of information there's like so much more to this and really that's the goal of the documentary um, and the book that i just finished it was like to complete the history of jiu-jitsu and have an account that was more unbiased it was not pro brazil it was not pro us pro japan pro fada lineage pro gracie and it, it was let's try to be you know as accurate and as unbiased as possible um we worked with the leading historians in the field the people that have been studying this for a long time so it was a really cool process, man. It was like the journey of a lifetime, man. I actually, I'm more proud of this than I am of my ADCC title or my UFC fight or anything like that. To be honest, I uh, really think it's going to change the way people look at history. I can't wait to check it out, man. It, it sounds really interesting. Uh, and I assume do you guys get into some of the history of mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts of Valetudo in, in, in Brazil. And obviously that has its uh, relationship with the UFC, clearly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the the stories are parallel. You got to understand what's happening in Brazil is it is it's, it's unique in some ways. Like the circus was the UFC, the circus was Netflix, the circus was ESPN, the circus was the circus was everything back in the day, right? That's where entertainment. The people don't have TV and radio, so what'd you do? You go to the circus, you know. So that's where these performances were taking place. Um, you got to keep in mind too, like people are migrating a lot more early in the 20th century, so you're getting Greco-Roman wrestlers. You're getting capoeiras, you're getting the Savati fighters, you're getting the catch wrestlers, and you're getting the Japanese judokas. And out of that syncretism, these guys in Brazil, they, they, they can't agree on the rules, long story short. So sometimes they would put a gi on the capoeira, and the capoeira guys would complain. So the rule right. would be, you wear a gi, but for the first round, you can't take me down. Oh, okay, okay let's do that. So the first round, the jiu-jitsu guy is just ready the whole time, right? But the capoeira guy's got a gi on, right? So you have all these dumb rules, and... In that they can't really agree on anything. And finally, at some point, they go, how about this? You do what you want to do. I do what I want to do. And let's go, let's go at it, right? And that's, you start, that, then you see MMA taking shape during that period. Um, Jiu-Jitsu, as we understand, they played a huge role. But 
other martial arts just as much. Capoeira played a huge role in this story. It's very neglected because Capoeira became something very different now. It's very dance-like, right? Whereas at that time, people don't know this, but Capoeira had takedowns, guillotines, guard position. It was far more MMA-oriented in those days, less musical, you know? So it's a very rich story as well. Uh, and out of these rivalries with the Japanese, that's where MMA came about. Like, they finally started, like, because they couldn't agree on the rules, they decided to remove all rules. And that's where Valetudo came from. Robert Drysdale with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So you were born in the U.S., so we here in the United States of America, we'll take you. But you moved to Brazil when you were young. Can you take us back to that experience, what your formative years were like in Brazil and how often you were sort of doing the back and forth thing? Um, my whole life, really, I was born in Provo, Utah, to a Mormon missionary. That's how my, my father did his mission in Brazil. So he speaks fluent Portuguese. My mom was a Brazilian swimmer on a scholarship at BYU. So I was born on campus, been back to Brazil when I was six. I grew up in Brazil. My formative years were in Brazil. That's where I started training. And then I've been going back and forth. That's about 60% of my life has been in the U.S. at this point. But uh, it was a rich experience. I was glad I was a child in Brazil. I think I got a lot of fun. Very fortunate to be here now. But it gave me a different perspective, you know, because, you know, my my earliest childhood memories are, you know, my, my American family arguing with my Brazilian family over things like who invented the airplane. You know, and I'm in the middle of it. Right. So, you know, I actually have to do my own research. I'm like, let's find out who actually did huh. the airplane. Like, yeah. I try to be as neutral as possible, right? So I think that right there kind of gave me a different scope on, you know, the, the the whole geopolitical, you know, rivalry or like how things develop. And I think I became more, I wouldn't, I, I, people ask me if I'm more American or more Brazilian. I'm like, neither. I, I try to take the best from both cultures. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I don't really put my foot on one culture or the other. I think right. I'm both. Right. So a couple other things I want to get to before we let you fly and then something on the documentary on the way out. But uh, when you arrived in the UFC, you know, I've read a lot about you over the last 24 hours or so. What were your goals? Right. I mean, because you retired undefeated, you, you scratched that itch, so to speak. You conquered that fear and that demon. Um, but when you arrived, you know, I mean, we thought, man, I mean, this guy's going to be a real problem, you know, not Damian Maya 2.0 per se, but we thought we were in for a guy who was really going to contend. So I'm just curious sort of how that lines up or juxtaposed against your goals, you know, coming into the UFC. You know, um, I had this thing in my head when I started training, there was, there was a progression in jujitsu, right? Blue, purple, brown, black, you win 80, you win uh, world titles in those belts, you win ADCC. And the UFC was uh, the culmination of that work. I never saw jiu-jitsu separated from MMA. To me, it was a continuation. Like, I, I have total respect for black belts who have never fought. I don't criticize or judge. But to me, I personally would not feel complete unless I had lived that journey. And what was missing in my, you know, everything I wanted to accomplish is the UFC belt. Could I have won it? I mean, I, in the gym, man, I never had an, I've trained with multiple UFC champions. Like I could go back and forth with any of them, you know, and like always done well, but you know, gym is not reality. That's not where the, the real fight takes place. Who cares about the gym? Right. I think it was a combination of things, man. Like obviously, you know, I failed the drug tests that didn't help, but I think at some point, you know, like having children, you know, watching some of my friends retire and like this, they were, once they started reaching their mid forties, they weren't the same anymore, you know, and there's something yeah, wrong. Yeah. And I'm watching all these things and I got a glimpse of the crowd that I didn't like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little, you know, as it, I don't, I don't like people judging me unless they, if Kenny wanted to judge me, I feel like you perfect place to do so because you've been in there. Right. Right. And 
fine with that. Like, I really am. Like, my coach, my teammates, but when people have never stepped foot in there, are like very vocal about things, it bothers me. Sure. I like I didn't like I didn't like the spotlight of being that. So I don't have thick skin, I guess, so to speak. You know. Yeah. So it was a combination of all these things, and I'm like, I love this practice, I love this art, but I don't like show business. Well, speaking of show business, and of course, there was a shining moment, and I'll call it a shining moment for you in the corner of Max Roshkoff uh, a couple of months ago now. And I don't say this because you're here. We said this on the show at the time. Every time I watch it back, I have even more respect for the way you handled that situation. Now, knowing the emotions that you had as a fighter, it seems even more masterful to me the way you handled that corner. I mean, and I don't know if you can gain enough separation to look back at it and say, man, you know, like I really did a nice job breathing deep and not giving him too much to think about and letting the moment breathe. Um, I don't know what you can tell us a couple months removed, but certainly everybody on our show thought you handled that beautifully, despite what might've been said in other parts of the world. Yeah. Thank you, man. Like I, you know, the one thing that made me happy is that all the people that are experts and no fighting sided with me. And then like the fans that are, I mean, I don't want to disrespect fans, but like people that don't really know, understand a lot of the sport, you know, are criticizing me. I, the only thing I would have done different is I would have had a different choice words you know i think my choice of words could have been more trying to reach because like really when you're a coach you're a mind mind mechanic you're not just teaching techniques you're like sports psychologist you got to go deep in there and fix the problem and i think my choice of words could have been better in the sense where i could have tapped into his emotion in a way that would have you know sparked that fire back and i just like let's go let's go let's go that's not enough that's because i was caught off the guard like when he says call it for like three, four seconds, if you watch the video, I'm speechless because I can't register what he's saying. I'm like, call who? Like, what are you talking about? I'm thinking, did he yeah. get hit so he's like, he gets, right. I can't yeah. go through my head, right? Like, I can't put two and two together. And once I finally realized that he didn't want to be there anymore, like, I, I would have chosen my, my words better. Yeah. But that's the only thing I would have changed. I don't regret it. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, me and Max, like, he, he's like a little brother to me, and I, I know how bad he wanted to be there. I won't say... I don't think he didn't want to be in there. I don't think that was it. I think he had a mental – because when you're so used to winning, not having things go your way can be very, very frustrating. If you're used to losing, you can handle these things, right? Yeah. But Max is the kind of guy who's very dominant in the gym. So all of a sudden, things don't go exactly as he's used to them going. He's like, what do I do now? Like, I, this is a weird place. It reminds me um, – Someone sent me a video of like uh, Teddy Atlas yelling at Michael Moore, like they're about to win a world title. And that was like, I think the late 80s, maybe early yeah. 90s, remember the time period. But like, man, I, compared to what that guy, like how he was talking to Michael Moore, how right. I see the max, I think it's it's a picture of the time we're living in. Like people become so soft. Yeah. You know? yeah. Can't even say anything. Like the way Teddy Atlas was talking to Michael Moore, it's like, that's how I want to talk to my fighters. That's how I want to talk to people like on the stool, like get your ass up and fight. That's right. what I want to do. But as soft as I was in that corner, you see, you saw the reaction. Like you can't even guys, yeah. we're talking about the UFC here. People are getting elbowed in the face. They're getting kneed in the face. There's brain damage. And people are upset because I'm pushing a guy who's tired. You shouldn't be watching the UFC. Right. Then. It's simple. Right. You right. know? Right. So, uh, in terms of Max's fighting future, uh, because I think for a lot of us who are getting ready to call his fight, like we were excited to see the future. Were you and his manager, Brian Butler, expectant that he might get cut? And is there anything you can offer us in terms of what he might choose to do next? Yeah, we were back and forth on it. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, there was uh, a part of the UFC that thought that there was a, a comeback story in the making. And as a 
the business UFC understands that it's not just about the quality of the fighters. There has to be a story. The story sells more than the technique. You know, the very few people are going to appreciate te technique by itself. And I think Max's story is a great story, and they saw a comeback because he has a good reputation amongst people who have trained with him. Everyone speaks very highly of him, right? He's a monster on the mats. So it's not lack of potential. So I, there's a part of me that's hoping, okay, the UFC is going to sense that comeback story and that that would be a great story for the fans. But at the same time, it creates a bit of a liability for them because if he does that again, then the UFC is going to look bad, right? Because they should have, like, cut him when he first did it, right? So it's a bit of a problem for them. So, uh, yeah, he's been cut, but I, we have hopes he'll be back. You know, we, we've been yeah. speaking to UFC, and I think in a fight or two, you know, things going according to plan, he should be back in there. He's not, he's not done. All right, last thing before I get to the documentary Close Guard, The Origins of Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. So Robert Follis cornered you, obviously, uh, and in your lone UFC fight. And as a friend of his, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least bring him up and ask, you know, how that passing affected you and, uh, you know, how you've sort of moved on from that because it still feels like this just huge loss for the community. Uh, he was just sort of such an a unique guy. And, uh, just wanted to ask you about Robert before we move on. You know, Rob Follis was, yeah, he was my coach for a minute there. Um, you know, it's funny, man, cause I, I admired for, we, we technically we disagreed all the time. Like he tried to get me to do stuff and I, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm, I have my own style of jujitsu and he tried me to do things like it was more like a uh, team quest style. Like that's not how I fight, but it was, it was never contentious. It was always like technical disagreements on how I should fight. But, you know, I, I think that, that that was a guy who really loved coaching, man. Like, it's very rare that you see someone who – I think he loved it so much. He was, he was one of those coaches that was so passionate to do it for free and end up shooting himself in the foot and allowed people to take advantage of him because he was so passionate. Like, you never – and you have to kind of put your foot down. Like, this is my value. Take it or leave. And if you don't appreciate it, I'm going to go somewhere else. And you have to do that as a coach. And I have a hard time doing that because I love teaching so much. Right. But a guy like Falls, I think he gave himself too much. And it's funny because like maybe a week or two before, um, you know, we, we uh, committed suicide. He actually reached out to me. We, we, we grabbed lunch and we were talking about him coming back to the gym and being head MMA coach. Drives of jiu-jitsu. And I was like, let's do this. But, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, let's do this. We, we spoke after lunch. We continue to talk. But I wasn't like insisting. Let's do this. Let's do this. I kind of let it, you know. Okay, let's let's keep talking about it. And then, like you know, a few days later, he commits suicide, and of course, that leaves me with a bit of guilt because I was probably one of the last people to actually sit down and talk to him. And I, I wish I could have done something different, but you never know. It was just a lunch. I didn't know what was going sure. on. And but I think deep down, he—I mean, there might have been more going on. I don't know the details, but I think I, I think he felt underappreciated, you know. And I, I think that I could have done something there too. I think. Everyone who knew him could have done something to, to to prevent that. But you never know, man. Like people, you never know yeah, where people right. are, man. Like if someone reaches out to you, man, you got to treat them like it's the last time you're going to see them. You know, and I guess yeah. it was a bit of a lesson, to be honest. That's well put, man. All right. Well, I'm excited for this documentary. So you're the executive producer, among other things, writer, director, Close Guard, The Origins of Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. So the book is out, documentary coming out soon. So you just saw the trailer for the first time before we tape this interview. Is that right? That was correct. I was in the process of watching it because we've been working on it. We wanted to uh, put it on the show here. 
because yeah. I knew it was coming. And uh, so I'd never seen the trailer before. I mean, actually, I was mid-trailer when you guys called. All right, so <laughs> we're going to let you go finish that trailer, but we appreciate your time. We, we're excited to see you back on the road. And uh, on the backside, we're going to show a sneak peek to uh, to our viewers and listeners here. But best of luck, man. Seriously, a project that I think a lot of people are going to want to dive into. And uh, very gracious with your time today, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity. There he is, Robert Drysdale. Heavy hitters have a line for what looks like that is going to be a special project. Close guard, the origins of jujitsu in Brazil on social media as well. And here now is a sneak peek of close guard. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So when you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed. Perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to. I can certainly relate. You know, there's a phrase in the song, there's no business like show business, and it says there's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. And for me, being in the public eye has been challenging, at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how I'm feeling. Well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 100 nights a year, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, pretty great that Robert Drysdale would share that with the Anakin Florian podcast audience. I'm excited to check out that project, Kempfell. I got a lot to learn. All right, predictions for UFC Fight Night. Overeem versus Sakai coming up in about two minutes. First, though, support for the Anakin Florian podcast, of course, comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. Truly a company that has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. The best company in the world when it comes to men's below-the-belt grooming. I have experienced that firsthand for the last six months. And their top-notch ball trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, been keeping me clean. It's going to keep you clean as well without any of those infamous nicks and cuts. Manscaped has also partnered with a lot of top-tier MMA athletes and talent out there. The middleweight champ Israel Adesanya, the future Hall of Famer Max Holloway, Francis Ngannou, and many others who understand that hygiene matters and also know what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary men's grooming company, Manscaped. They redesigned the Lawnmower 3.0, features a great ceramic blade, proprietary advanced skin safe technology. Accidents truly will become a thing of the past, so much so that I thought about buying a separate Lawnmower 3.0 to shave my son's lettuce. I'm being honest with you, right? He's two years old. I'm going to use it to shave his head. Great ceramic blade. And I can assure you, you're not going to be cutting any scalps with this. Big picture, though, for our listeners, viewers, if you're men, you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using down there. You think Kenny Florian is using the same trimmer on his beard, right? I mean, all right, I'm going to stop it down there. We want to help you get there. 
get to the promised land, so to speak. So to get 20% off with free shipping, go to manscaped.com right now. Use promo code AF. That's promo code AF for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, promo code AF. All right. A lot of predictions to make. Not really only three, but to that end, let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, and we are now joined by the Duck, Ian Parker, on social media at Ian Parker MMA. Before we get to the predictions, we will bring in our producer, our chief marketing officer, Mero Marketing Veracity Media Groups. Cody Mero is with us. This is your segment, kid. This is when we put the blue eyes on camera. You're in all your glory. Pronunciation of the week. It's good to see you, kid. Hey, we're ready to go. I'm going to put that writing minor to work, baby. I know you are. See, you're so focused on the job at hand. We gave you the want to know. Pretty generous, generous of us, I should say, that you're sitting here want to know. Um, all right. So this fighter is a knockout artist set to make his third UFC appearance this Saturday night on the main card on ESPN Plus against Michelle Pareda, Cody Mero, of whom am I speaking? You were speaking of Zalim Imadaev. All right. Let's hear, uh, let's hear him say. Zalim Wolf Imadaev. Zalim Wolf Imadaev. I would say he, he he was a little closer with the last name than he was with the first name. I think the first name kind of threw him off, and then just uh, I, I can't give it to him. Ian, That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I heard a lot more than that first name attached to that first name. I don't I, I don't know what the guy even said as his first name, Cody. <laughs> All right, right. You got that second half spot on. That first half, I don't think it's your fault. His whole middle name attached to his first name was fucking silent. So that's a tough one. Um, Oh, man. So, I mean, that, 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 listen, I'm not going to defend Cody on last week's like kindergarten last name. This week, though, I will defend him a little bit. That first name, even if he got it right, what was that middle stuff he was saying? So, Ian, we know respectfully on this program, you are not the authority when it comes to pronunciation. Yeah, I'm not even sure why I asked you. Right. I was on mute. I was like, keep me out of this shit because I'm not getting it right. What's funny about Kempflo is that, you know, everybody thinks of me as the pronunciation guy when it's like that dude is fucking king when it comes to inflection and speaks partially like six languages. But Kempflo, you're absolutely right. And by the way. If you're watching on TV here, you know how excited Kempflo gets for the pronunciation of the week because <laughs> right? it's so goddamn in his wheelhouse. And you're absolutely right. First name is. is not Zalim. Uh, it's Zelami Medayev. So, Cody, unfortunately, that brings you down to one and one. But I, again, I mean, I know how much you put into this kid. And uh, we just try to throw you on camera every chance we get, you know. Well, I'm going to tell you why Kenny loves this segment is because. I'm from New England, baby, and that's how we roll. We're still repping the bees tonight, so I might be one-on-one, but I'll take it. I'll take the L. Hopefully the bees can come back and get us back on track. Ian, last week you said I looked like Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson's Batman, bro. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I mean, I said Twilight. I kept I kept it pretty open, but um, sure, if that helps you sleep at night, that's fine. I don't know what being from Boston has to do with the pronunciation of the week, but it's cool. Everything. Go Boston. I don't give and a shit. Right, there you go. Wow. His, eyes just, his eyes are so dreamy, though. It's kind of it's bothering me. Cody, I used to be got, the eyes on the show. Oh. Cody, you got, a, you got a hot microphone. Uh, anytime you want to chime in, we appreciate that, but you fall to one and one. And uh, that brings us to the main event challenge. And I think I got the scoreboard right here. So Team Florian 
led at 107-100 going in the UFC fight night, Smith versus Rockic. But courtesy of Ian Parker's selection of Neil Magny by decision, that's a three-point hit. Team Thanos wins the week 4-1. It's 108-104. We're chipping away. I like that Team Thanos, right? That's your new dog that's going to be 300 pounds, right, Ian? He's 14 weeks, 48 pounds. Took him to the vet. He's a, uh, he's a fucking boost. He really is. I had <laughs> team Parker in the script and I just couldn't bring myself to say team Parker. You're the captain of team Anik, but I think we might have to go team Thanos either way. You're chipping away. It's 108, 104. And it seemed like actually last week you kind of liked Robbie Lawler. Maybe you liked the value of plus 200, but correct me if I'm wrong. Strategically, the favorite, the chalky play was there. Kempo left it for you. That's a big three points, man. I'm telling you. I'd like you to also share what was the text message I sent to you right before the card. What was I going to do? I oh, was going to switch it. Yeah. I was going to switch it to rack, rack, rackage by decision. Yeah. And yeah. the only reason why I didn't was right. strategy because if he hit Smith there after I hit Magni, right, right, uh, it would yeah. have washed it. So uh, all right, I took. Well, I, wa- I walked. I took my chips. I walked away from the table. Let's go. All right. Well, hopefully uh, by this point in time. The Boston Bruins have not been eliminated, and hopefully we don't lose any more fights as of this taping. There are nine total confirmed fights for this weekend, otherwise known as a broadcaster's dream. First pick for us will be at welterweight. Tight on the number here, men. Michelle Pareda, minus 115. Zellam Imadaya, minus 105. Ian Parker, who do you have? Uh, you know what? Looking at Shabbatabudabu's uh, last couple of fights, you know, I really, uh, you know, it doesn't feel, I hate to say this, UFC level for me against somebody who is well-rounded when they're not doing backflips off the cage and burning their tank on crazy tricks. We saw against Daniel Roberts, the strength, the athleticism. Then his fight against, I forget the Canadian kid that came in, went up and beat him. We just saw that the cockiness and we saw that the, the tank, he blew his gas tank, simple as that. Then against Diego Sanchez, not that Diego Sanchez is the same guy that was dominant once at one point, but we kind of saw a different level of IQ there. You know, he wasn't always going for it. He wasn't throwing all of his energy into every punch. He wasn't throwing crazy backflips. I think if he does not get in a brawl and he uses his actual skills, not the Cirque du Soleil shit that he does, yeah. his actual jujitsu, his actual boxing, this is a fight that he absolutely should win. Go watch his opponent. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. So Cody, I'll give you the point, but go watch his last couple of fights. Against Danny Roberts in the first round, he had his moments, and then he just kind of he just let it go. And against Pajeda, you you can't let any moment slip through your fingers because he's so unpredictable. So I'm actually surprised it's only minus one fifteen. I thought he would have been a minus one eighty five here. I'm going yeah. Pajeda. Seventy cents cheaper than Ian Parker thought he was going to have to pay at the window. I like it. That window behind Ian Parker, by the way, is actually his betting window. He just turns around and <laughs> puts money into that fucking vent behind him. Ken Flo Pajeda is a wild man. Last fight, the DQ loss against Diego Sanchez in February. Prior to that, he was upset by the Canadian that Ian mentioned, Tristan Connolly. Ian Dive 0-2 in the UFC. So he came into the UFC 8-0 with eight knockouts, I believe, and uh, hasn't found the knockout stroke yet. What do you think about Pereira and Imadayev? Yeah, Imadayev, uh, you know, really doesn't um, – I, I don't know if he, he's approaching his UFC career a little differently. He doesn't make the best decisions. Um, I think he can, he can maybe win this fight because Pereira does a lot of silly things sometimes, gets overly aggressive, overly excited. Um, I think he's trying to find that balance. But if both guys bring their skills and fight the fight that they're supposed to, I think Pereira should win this fight. All right. Co-main event will need the round and the method of victory. We will have Kenneth Allen Florian lead the dance 
here. So you guys made a pick on this fight a couple weeks ago, but Owen St. Prue tested positive for COVID-19. Now it shall be done. We hope this Saturday, September 5th, Alonzo Menafield minus 130, OSP plus 110. Kempfla, what do you think? OSP has a ton of experience, um, you know, and I know he has some skills on the ground that can pose some problems for Metafield. But um, unless Metafield makes a, a big mistake, I think uh, Metafield should win this fight. Um, I see him winning by decision. I think he's going to utilize a lot of leg kicks out there, uh, attack the body. Um, I think he's the better striker. OSP just hasn't evolved as a mixed martial arts fighter like I would have liked. Um, and I, I think the speed advantage for Metafield will be significant out there. And uh, I like Metafield to get the win by decision. Ian Parker, what do you have for us on the co-main event, buddy? I'm sticking to my guns here. Um, OSP has fought way better competition than Alonzo Metafield has. That last fight against Devin Clark kind of showed that if he doesn't get the knockout in the first round, he kind of struggles with the game plan. I think he's with a really good team. But I think sometimes when you get in there, it doesn't matter who's in your corner. You're the one fighting. You're the one making the decisions. OSP fought at heavyweight against Ben Rothwell, took a lot of shots, and did not get knocked out. He also almost finished that fight a couple of times against someone way bigger. And I think Rothwell, with his unpredictable striking and the fact that he has a jiu-jitsu threat to him in a takedown game, that made OSP's life a lot harder. Menfield, you know what he's going to do. I'm not even worried about the leg kicks from Menfield, to be honest with you. I'm just worried about his explosive power. I think OSP knows here not to get into a brawl with him. You don't see him brawl too often. If he could actually utilize his leg kicks, get that fight to the ground, I'm still going second-round Von Fluchok. I think that he is going to tire him out in the clinch against the cage, eventually get it to the floor, and there is a huge difference in the ground game between these two fighters. So I will still take OSP, Von Fluchok, second round. All right. I like when you guys disagree. Makes fight night more exciting for me. Even though you guys fucking never text me, text me back. Yo, I'm sitting at that table all night. Fucking text me. All right. Main event. Bullshit. I text fourth, you all the time. Fourth consecutive <laughs> UFC main event for Alistair Overeem. He is the minus 175 or so favorite here against the lesser known, but very dangerous kid from Curitiba, Brazil. Augusto Sakai. Sakai plus 155. He's 4 0 in the UFC, Ian, but two of those wins have been of the split decision variety against Andre Arlovsky and Bogoy Ivanov. What do you think here about the heavyweight main event? Who wins? How do they get it done? I still have nightmares from Kenny winning that by split decision, AKA cage grab. Um, listen, Sakai doesn't grab that cage. He loses terribly in that fight. I mean, he pulled the cage off the ground by holding <laughs> up to it. Like it was the worst thing I've ever seen in the cage outside of that guy who got released who kicked what's his name in the nuts five times in one round and didn't get disqualified um to me this is a complete mismatch I am so confused to how these lines I mean unless Overeem has COVID a staph infection and lost one of his testicles I don't really understand at all where this line's at yeah. um I think he's better everywhere you know Sakai's a really tough guy and he persevered against the takedowns from Blagoy even off but we're talking about Alistair Overeem here, who really ha still hasn't looked bad. He was dominating uh, Rosenstrike up until that last punch of the round. You know, when Overeem seems to have his back against the wall, he seems to be get smarter. And he doesn't get into the brawls. He doesn't want to get hit, which is where Sakai will present the, challenge, the, the danger. He's going to take Sakai to the ground. And the thing is, is that even though we all know he could do it, no one ever thinks that Overeem will do it. He'll use that push kick to the stomach. You know, he'll try to use that clinch game. I think he's going to be the stronger guy here. 
I'm so thrown off by these odds. I got to be honest with you. I thought Sakai was going to be like a plus 210, plus 225, just based on competition right, alone. Right. It's not like Overeem is 100 years old, and everyone yeah. in heavyweight takes a shit ton of damage. So it is a five-rounder also. Did they choose another five-rounder heavyweight fight, right? Is that Five. what we're doing here? Five yeah. rounds? Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I was trying to pull a Kenny and pretend like I didn't have to make a method of victory here. Um, I'm going to go Alistair Overeem. I'm going to go... Man, is he going to finish this guy? I don't know. Give me Overeem by decision at the moment. I may change that to finish, but I really like Alistair Overeem here. I really do. All right, a lot of conviction behind that Overeem selection. Little Overeem love here, Ken Flo, and then I will lay out for your prediction. So... There wouldn't have been a lot of people who would have said it was a premature stoppage had the referee stopped that Walt Harris fight. Could have been called in round one. I mean, he was getting absolutely bludgeoned, but again, showed off the toughness, right? Like, I really do believe in this guy's heart. I believe in his chin. Uh, and again, you mentioned that shot from Rosenstrike that split open his lip. Were it not for that, this guy would be riding a four-fight winning streak right now. He's 40 years old. And that loss to Rosenstrike took him out of title contention. But again, fifth straight main event here. Incredible legacy. Still has those championship aspirations, Ken Flo. He'll try to keep those alive here with the W. What do you think about the main, the Ream versus Sakai? Yeah, you know, he hasn't had the best luck in the UFC, um, but he definitely has beaten a lot of big names throughout his mixed martial arts career. I don't see him losing it uh, to a guy like uh, an Augusto Sakai, especially a guy in Sakai who defensively doesn't show me a lot. He doesn't really have a jab. He comes in with one twos and he's got the power to certainly knock out over him. But if you want to win at a high level and do it consistently, I don't think Sakai is there yet. I think Overeem has way too much experience. I think he's going to circle, uh, you know, get his timing, kind of stick and move with punches and kicks. And um, I, I do agree with Ian that um, he should probably look for those takedowns as well. Look for a ground and pound or, or, or submission. I do think Overeem is going to get the win. I think it's going to take a little bit for Overeem to get warmed up. But um Let's see. I see a win in round. Let's go with round four. Uh, TKO Alistair Overeem. You're right, Ken Flo. 66th pro MMA fight for Alistair Overeem. But the UFC record, a little 11 and seven, you know, a little underwhelming. 19th UFC appearance here, but uh, it's got a lot of momentum. And man, it's like, I mean, I show these fighter cards on Instagram, but it's like truly running out of real estate when it comes to everything that uh, that Overeem has accomplished. We'll see how it goes for the 40-year-old born May 17th, 1980. All right, Ian Parker always gets a parting shot. Not sure who he's going to choose to attack this week. Ian, do you have anything for us before we <laughs> let you fly? How about that Covington-Woodley price? I mean, I, I am very high on Colby Covington. Go back and watch how many huge shots he landed against Kamara Usman, right? Uh, I, he certainly deserves to be the favorite, but he's approaching like minus 350, minus 360 against Tyron Woodley. I mean, that's a huge number, no? Somewhat yeah, one of no, uh, it, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 finish, finish. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think it was Blake Bowman, uh, who said, you know, Colby's going to be minus 1100, right? If, uh, yeah, I, I know Blake well. He said that, uh, before it goes to 1100, jump on it, jump on it now. Right, Blake, right. I love you. That's not going to with minus 1100. That's no, no, he knows. He knows. I know, I know. He knows. He's a smart guy. He's fun. Um, I would love to see Woodley really. I mean, I feel like Woodley had to take this fight or else no chance ever again is he getting to the top of the mountain. <laughs> not because he's not capable, but because, you know, we talk about a former champ. And look, the thing that 
the thing that Woodley used to be was that wrestler who had that overhand right. He could she could fake that double leg. I mean, that fight against Koscheck, that punch he landed was like, I still get fucking nightmares from it, you know? This is a fight where I think he will, he's gonna be the stronger guy. It's just can he listen, the last two fights, I, I'm like babbling like a fucking idiot right now because this fight blows my mind with those odds. We know that people that come at him with cardio and volume, that's his that's his uh kryptonite. It happened with Usman, it happened with Gilbert, you know, Dorino, and I don't see it not happening with Colby Covington. I love Tara Woodley. I sponsored him with Cage Hero years ago. You know, I just think that if his cardio is not there, if he's not putting together combinations, I don't see how Kobe doesn't have his way. You know, he could just, he, he just, just, just too much cardio, too much output. And we've just seen that really take a toll on Tara Woodley in those last, uh, last few fights. So for me at the moment, I think those odds are still really high, but if we were just pulled the odds away, I would lean towards Colby Covington hundred percent based off his last performance as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. See yeah. how it plays out September 19th live on ESPN. I think on the mothership, at least ESPN plus we got to get out of here. Thanks to our guests, Robert Drysdale, Ray Longo, Ian Parker, Anaflorianpodcast.com. If you want the purple shirt or if you want the Ray Longo minute masks, I have a funny feeling those are going to be sold out uh, in the not too distant future with that for Ken Flo and our producer, Cody Barrow, John Anderson. So long for now. Don't text and drive out there. Cody texted me today. I was driving. I didn't text him back. No fucking way. Put your mask on. We'll talk to you this Saturday night live on ESPN plus until then. You go later.